the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. Tony and Jackie here with Andy Martinez, and Andy, we're welcoming in a special guest this week, Alex Cohen, the broadcaster for the Iowa Cubs. You can catch Alex on Marquee Sports Network on the broadcast Wednesday and Friday for the iCubs, and then be sure to tune in Thursday evening as we're going to have our Road to Wrigley wraparound show which will obviously showcase some of the Iowa Cubs highlights and uh, some of Alex's voice in there as well, uh, I'm sure, as we get through it. But Alex, first of all, thanks for joining us. How's everything going with you? Everything's going great. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, everything's been been fun. Just got done with a 12-game road trip for the I-Cubs. We spent six games in Columbus, six games in Jacksonville. And it's great to be back at home at Principal Park. And uh, we have six home games against the Memphis Redbirds, uh, AAA affiliate of the St. Louis Cardinals. So it's Cubs, Cardinals, AAA version for the next week here in Des Moines. And we're really, uh, really excited about that. Yeah, I mean, one of the big things I think um, that – up here we've been talking to players about is just the new MLB rule changes that are going to be coming out for next year. And I know that's something that you and in, in the, you know, the AAA world has been dealing with already with the pitch clock and then bigger bases. So just Alex and your impression, you know, maybe start as a broadcaster or even from like the fan angle, how the yeah. games are. And then also maybe if you can shed some light on how the players or coaches have thought about those two rules. I'll, I'll be honest. I was a huge skeptic on the pitch clock. I was a traditionalist. I'm like, keep baseball the way that it is. I mean, I was, you know, Grant Torino, get off my lawn when it came to it. But <laughs> it was, I would say about three weeks into the season where, you know, I got off a broadcast. I'm like, it, it feels better. You know, our average time of game is, is 27 minutes less than it was last year. And now we're getting to the point where you have three hour, five minute games, three hour, 10 minute games feel like marathons. And the average time of game is two hours, 39 minutes, two hours, 40 minutes, two hours, 45 minutes. And it's enjoyable from a broadcast perspective because it's not like I'm reciting the same stuff over and over and over again. It doesn't labor a lot. I mean, it's a clear, concise game. I think the fan appreciates it because they don't have to stay for three and a half hours. I mean, ultimately when it comes down to, if you're a friend, a fan, if you're getting in late, it's from the second to the ninth inning. If you're leaving early, it's from the first to the seventh inning. I think fans in general, we have phantom ADD, which means we can only pay attention for, for two, two and a half hours at a time. So I um, I think now I am pro pitch clock. I Just recognizing what it does for the pace of play, the game, the tempo, the feel. Like I like it. I think the players like it. Uh, we probably get about two or three pitch infractions a series, but at the beginning of the series, the players are frustrated. Now it's just like, yeah, my fault, my bad. I, I, I went against the clock and, and then you just move on and move forward. When it comes to the bigger bases, I personally haven't seen a major difference other than the first five games of the year where there was like a tag play, people would trip over the bag. Um, that was probably like the first or two or three series, maybe the first series, um, aside from that, it's really not made a big difference from, you know, 100 feet up in the press box. Alex, I wanted to follow up and ask the question I think everybody yeah. is going to be asking. Uh, what do you do with that extra half hour a day? Uh, you know, I, I stare out at our beautiful green grass at Princeton <laughs> Park. And, um, you know, most importantly, I watch Marquee Sports Network and, and watch you guys and put in all the minor league content that I possibly can. Uh, basically, I watch the Road to Wrigley segments on replay. And uh, that's how I fill my time. Wow, that was a very, very good answer. We, I, uh, yeah, I gotta say that's a lot of Lance Brozdowski <laughs> you're consuming for sure. Yeah, cram, cram a lot into a half hour, dude. <laughs> 
you, you touched on the the pitching and the 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 the, the pace of pitchers. I want to talk specifically on some pitchers, and the main guy is Hayden Wesneski. You know, we saw him come up his first outing, five mm. innings, and looked terrific. Um, what what do you what did you see in Iowa that's translating here in the major leagues into to success for him as he you know establishes himself in the big leagues? Well, first and foremost, he is a bulldog. I mean, it comes from the time that he steps into the ballpark when he's pitching. He'll be out on the playing surface like two, two and a half hours before first pitch, like walking around the like the circumference of the mound, like just doing a full like glimpse of like the stands, the mound, like zeroing in. I don't know if I've ever seen a pitcher as intense on the day that he's supposed to pitch in Hayden Wesneski. He's just a different type of locked in. When it comes to the arsenal, I mean, you've seen the slider. I mean, it is wiffle ball like it is a frisbee pitch i mean it is something that i have seen more i i won't say non-competitive swings because that would be doing the hitters a disjustice uh but 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 swings that don't seem on par with what pitch is being thrown they look they look difficult they look labored so um i i think he's got one of the best secondary pitches i've seen in five years here uh you combine that with a 94 to 97 mile per hour fastball and a changeup. You have a perfect three-pitch arsenal to move on. If you are going to be a starter next year or if you're thrusted into the Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson role uh, in the big leagues as a reliever when it's all said and done, um, I think the stuff plays. I think the mentality plays. Uh, I think he's a guy who's going to be very valuable to the Cubs organization for quite some time. I was really impressed. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the wiffle ball aspect because when I was watching him pitch on Sunday against the Giants, I I had that exact same thought. There were a couple sliders that – looking from the press box, you know, we're almost directly above home plate that I was just like, whoa, like, you know, and, and you don't see movement like that exactly. But then he uh, he tied up, I forget which Giants hitter it was, but, you know, he got like the, the literally the worst swing that I had saw this year. It was like yeah. the sinker kind of running in on, on the guy, on his hands. But it was it was the worst swing that I had seen all year, and that was just kind of what Wesneski does to you, I feel like. Well, yeah, I mean, that's commonplace here. I mean, and when you're uh, Hayden Wesneski, you're making your big league debut and you automatically end up on Pitch Ninja. I mean, that sets the bar yeah, pretty high right. when it comes to that. But it, it, it is the mentality. It is that signature pitch and the fact that he throws 94, topping out at 97 with a good sinker as well. I mean, the stuff and the mentality is there. He's He's pretty impressive. So, you know, another guy that we saw come up and make his debut earlier in the summer was Caleb Killian. And, you know, I was pretty impressed with his debut. You know, he's saying 94-95, looked pretty good against the Cardinals. Obviously, you know, kind of fell apart in the fourth inning in his debut. But then since then, you know, since that debut day, really things have, have gone the other direction with Killian. He struggled in two more big league outings up here. Then obviously, Alex, you know, in AAA for the last, you know, two months or so. And, you know, I was just kind of, catching up I, I'd seen his starts I hadn't put everything together and I was like looking before he did this pod like 557 ERA but then the 34 walks and 53 mm-hmm. innings since coming back down after his stint in the big leagues really what have you kind of seen from him and and you know in just talking and interactions and talking with coaches and stuff too like what's kind of going on with Killian in the last couple of months yeah it, it's really just consistency with Killian if you look at the starts it's every other start you know, one start, he'll have five innings, five hits, one run, five Ks, one walk. And then the next start will be three innings, six hits, four runs, five walks, two strikeouts. It's it's kind of mercurial in a way. Um, I, I think for Caleb, it's just a matter of consistency. It's being able to go out there and access what he did well in his last start and put that into the next start. Remember with Killian, he was drafted in 2019. He didn't pitch. 
He didn't pitch in 2020. So this is his second full pro season. There's a certain learning curve when it comes to that, especially with Caleb, who's still growing into his body. He's six, four, he's all legs. He's starting to get stronger, starting to recognize that he can throw 97, 98 miles per hour, as opposed to 94, 95 with a sinker. So I think that he's getting stronger. His arms are getting longer. His mechanics are getting longer. So it's just, I think an off season of getting him in that pitch lab and getting him in two with his body and his stuff. I think that'll really help uh, because the stuff plays. I mean, he, he threw his hardest fastball, Last month in St. Paul, it was on his 65th pitch, 98.8 miles per hour. It's got a curveball at 74 miles per hour. Also, there's a changeup. Also working on a slider. You know that he throws his cutter pretty well. It's just finding the pieces of the puzzle and putting them all together, but he certainly has the, the pieces of a really glamorous puzzle where if you do put it all together, he's a frontline starter, and he has the capability of a frontline starter. Now, I, I think the walks are a little bit concerning, especially in his last start where he walked five, but – once you get into September, remember, we're playing 150 games this year. Last year, he played 130. That's a big 20-game difference, especially for a young arm, and especially for somebody in 2019 didn't play. 2020 didn't play at all because of COVID. So this is uncharted territory for him. That's an interesting point you brought up. I asked Drew Smiley a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, what's the difference between when you're making your first major league season as a, as a starter? What's the, what's the hardest part? And he says August and September. Because yeah. in the minor league, September, you know, unless you're in the playoffs, is non-existent for, you know, in the past, especially uh, there was there was no September baseball unless you were in the playoffs. So then yeah. you have an extra six weeks in the season and, and yeah. the getting through that mental grind of, you know, it's another six weeks, which might not seem like a lot. But when you've pitched since February or so, that's definitely a lot. Well, remember, Killian was also in the fall league last year. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't it was September, then the fall league, then you go to the Cubs, you pitch in big league spring training, and then you come here and you pitch a full season. So you go from 2020, where you don't pitch at all, to 2021, where it's your first pro season, then pitch in the fall league, then go to big league spring training for some time, then make your AAA debut, then make your big league debut, and then you have your most innings that you've thrown really since high school. So uh, I think it's just a lot, a short period of time for Killian. I would be very surprised if he doesn't come back much more sharp during spring training. I think that'll have his time off. I think he'll go into the pitch lab. They'll, they'll really reassess like what he's doing from a mechanical perspective. I think you'll see a much better Caleb Killian next year when you report to spring training. That's an interesting point because I think it's easy to just look at the the minutia, right? The the, yeah. the get down to the molecular level and you're looking at like, oh, this one la this one outing where he had five walks and we're just looking at that and we're not taking into account the bigger picture. And I think that's that's an important thing. And I appreciate you bringing that up because no I'm problem. definitely in that category where I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, five five walks and three innings, that's not a good sign. But it's it's taking a, a look at the bigger picture. Uh, another guy I wanted to touch on was Brendan Davis. Um, you know, he's been there for a couple weeks. And I think the initial scare when you heard his injury is back injury, right? Mm -hmm. back, quote, unquote, back injury. And it's like, a, it's a panic, right? Where it's like, oh my gosh, a back injury, that's that's bad. You know, that's going to really set him back, whatever. It wasn't really a back injury per se. It was back surgery for sure, but it wasn't a back injury per se. He's coming back. He's got a 436 on base percentage in mm -hmm. Iowa. What have you seen in, in the, the time that he's been there? I have seen a much improved plate presence from Brennan. Um, I don't know if it was early on in the season and he was pressing um, in April. There was just a lot more swing and miss and a lot more chase. Now there's been a little swing and miss here, uh, trying to get the bat speed back where it used to be with the back and with missing three months. That's going to take its time. He's drawing more walks. 
He's not chasing as many pitches. And it's just a much better quality at bat. It, it was the type of at bats we saw from Brennan last year uh, when he came up in a short stint in AAA, even a little bit better. Uh, he, he got There was a game in Columbus where he got on base five times. It was two hits. He had two singles, got hit by a pitch, and he drew two walks. Uh, also, what's really impressed me is his defense in right field, where I, I think you guys have saw two outfield assists from him um, in a span of five days where it looked like Raul Mondesi out there. I mean, it was just a cannon from right field. And uh, I didn't know that part of his game existed. I mean, he didn't show it here in September last year, although limited sample size. So uh, I do think that the arm plays, and, and I've been really impressed with the at-bats, especially after missing three months. You know, coming here, you can get exposed to AAA. You can get down. Guys will get you to chase, and he hasn't chased. Yeah, I mean, I think that's obviously a huge thing, and just the fact that, you know, it's going on three weeks now that he's been playing consistently in the minor leagues, you know, the last two being at Iowa, like we said, where he is healthy and he's coming back because – you know, this was a guy that we thought we'd be talking about with Wesneski and Killian and having, you know, this big fanfare around in Chicago. Um, but, you know, some of the other guys, Alex, that uh, haven't had as much fanfare but have come up and performed well, like Brandon Hughes, Javier Assad, as we're recording this on Tuesday, you know, it's it's the afternoon after Assad shut down the 89-win Mets and yeah. picked up his first big league win and quality start. And, you know, just in general, like these two guys have become really interesting parts of the Cubs pitching staff, you know, Hughes got the save and uh, has obviously been just a very um, important part of the Cubs pitching staff for months now. But Assad, really, it's been just a few weeks. It, but just in general, Alex, like how have you seen them, you know, navigate their seasons as a whole? Because you saw where they started. But then, you know, is there even a part of you that is a little surprised at how much success they've had in the big leagues too? I wouldn't go with surprise uh, with Brandon Hughes's makeup, you know, coming in as an outfielder, he was drafted as, and it's been what, two and a half years. And he goes from being an outfielder and a ball to a high leverage, big league reliever. Like I won't say that I'm surprised, but that's not the normal trajectory by any means. Uh, but just see, how, seeing how his stuff played here, uh, you know, from the left side, that three quarters delivery, 92 to 93, good sweeping slider, uh, and, and just a mound presence about him. Uh, calm, cool, collected. When he, when Brandon Hughes is out there on the mound, you have full confidence that he's going to get that guy out. You just do. Uh, and, and you can't teach that. There's no metrics on that. Um, when it comes to Javier Assad, what I was most drawn to and impressed by was his pitchability. Uh, the ability to throw six pitches, four strikes, command the strike zone, and unflappable. Javier Assad is the type of pitcher, if he gives up a 450-foot home run, okay. If he gives up a five-foot ground ball single, okay. He'll just go out and strike out the next three with you know, velocity that if you look at his scouting report, 92 to 93, right? Up in the big leagues, he's been 94 to 96. That's a big difference for a guy who could throw six pitches. I mean, that just makes the deception, the, the eye changing eye levels, not as much hard contact. That makes a world of difference for a guy like that. So the ability for Javier Assad to keep his arm healthy, get stronger, and master those six pitches all for strikes. I mean, I, I think that there's such a low ceiling for – or such a low floor or high floor for him. I mean, he's a guy that – I think he's going to be in the big leagues for a long time just because he can throw strikes and he's not going to get rattled. Yeah, I like the the point you said about being unflappable. I mean, we saw his glasses break in yeah. the middle of a start a couple of starts ago and, and 
You totally like, oh, fine. Okay, I was completely yeah. unaffected. Pitched without him, it was it was yeah. fascinating. I want. He, he's probably just like Andy. Andy has these glasses that have like no prescription. We give yeah. him a lot of a lot. Wait, of says, well, so Andy Andy could throw ninety six miles per hour too. That's yeah, so no, cool. it's yeah, that's, that's the big good. difference. Yeah. I, I think that yeah, they're right? exactly alike. Yeah, maybe so, I throw yeah. nine point six miles per hour, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, you did, you did touch on something, and I I like I, I want to kind of expand on that. When Hughes and Assad came up, it, it almost felt like they were up here and they were going to get a taste. And then you know, once the you know, I think it was Chris Martin that went down or was mm. on the restricted list, or it was around that time. Yeah. It was like, all right, Brandon Hughes kind of serves a role. Javier Assad, you know, they needed a starter. He kind of serves a role, but yep. they've stuck, right? They've stayed. Mm-hmm. We've seen the the uh, for lack of a better term the sprouts of the the change in pitching infrastructure with Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson. But you're getting yeah. a, a more down to earth look um, with some of these guys. What's impressed you most about just the pitching prospects and the the pitching how everything's changed amongst the Cubs, an organization that used to be that they, they don't develop pitching. Yeah, it's it's the pure arm talent. Um, I've been here for five years. I have not seen as much pure arm talent ever. Uh, between Jeremiah Estrada with one of the most, you know, disgusting four seamers in all of baseball being here. Uh, th- there's a there's a reliever, Danny's Correa. He's six foot, 165 pounds. He throws a 100, 101 mile per hour fastball, a 92 mile per hour slider, an 80, 88 mile per hour changeup, and an 85 mile per hour curveball. All for strikes. That doesn't grow off trees. A- and you have them in multiples here. It's it's really impressive between Correa, Estrada, Ben Leeper with you know, the fastball slider combination. I mean, there are three. I mean, Estrada's now up in the big leagues, but with Correa and Leeper, I mean, those are two legit big league reliever type of stuff, you know, guys. And I think that they'll both be in the big leagues for quite some time. Once they get up there, they'll get up the stack. All right, we're going to take a quick break here on the podcast. When we get back, we'll, we're going to be talking to Alex about guys like Alexander Canario and Matt Mervis, so stay tuned. Get your Wintrust exclusive debit card. Get your Cubs card. Ooh, I'll take one. How much? Actually, they pay you $300. You heard right. Get a $300 bonus when you open a Cubs checking account with Wintrust. Enjoy all perks and purchase with pride every time with your Wintrust Cubs debit card. $300? What? I'll take a $300. $300. Get your exclusive card at wintrust.com slash cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. All right, we're back here and we're catching up with Alex Cohen, the broadcaster for AAA Iowa Cubs. Alex, Alexander Canario has been, you know, in, in AAA. You've seen him for the last few weeks. Although he, I know, is dealing with an injury and hasn't been out there for a little bit. What's the latest on him? And then when he was playing, you know, how did you see? Because this has been a very big we talk about the pitching, like this has been a breakout season and campaign for him specifically at the plate. Yeah, uh, Alexander Canaro hasn't played uh, in, in about a week. Uh, he's got like a little lower body flare up day to day. We've seen him you know, running the bases, taking batting practice, not on the injured list, um, especially in September where he's already had a significant amount of bats this year. They're just trying to play cautious. Uh, hopefully he'll be playing this home stand, but he's a guy who is just a living, breathing tool shed. Uh, you see him he's six foot, broad shoulder, watches batting practice, gets balls halfway back to Chicago, which is nice to see. Uh, probably one hovering around Naperville right now. And, and you, you just it's a different type of feel when he's out there. You know, when he's in the outfield running out of baseball, he just he gallops to the ball. He, he's just so smooth. The arm plays. I mean, you saw his outfield assist in Tennessee. Um, you just watch him during like infield outfield drills. There's like that 
like the ball when it takes off out of his arm. And, and then just the pure speed. I mean, he's a guy who can hit 30 home runs and he can steal 30 bags as well. He legitimately has all five tools. He had a hit in his first AAA at bat here and since just struggled a little bit. Um, you know, he's a type of guy where you could see Alexander Canaro hitting 10 home runs in 30 days and then one home run in 30 days. He's a type of rhythm hitter. But even when the power isn't there, there's a quality of a bat. He can steal bases. He draws walks. He's 53 walks this year, where if you're looking at a young power hitter, you usually see more Ks, less walks. And he does strike out a little bit, but he also walks a lot. Yeah, the OBP is 350, 355 at every level that he's been at. So that is a blessing in disguise when the power isn't there. He's not swinging the bat as well. It's still a competitive at bat, and he's still drawing walks, and he's still getting on base. So I think that's what separates him from the traditional power hitting prospect. It's interesting you you mentioned that because Jared Banner uh, mentioned earlier, I think it was last month or so, he mentioned that they knew the raw power was there. They knew that he could hit a lot of home runs, but what impressed him was his command of the strike zone, was the ability, like you said, to, to, to take walks when he needs to and to get on base. That's that's a very fascinating thing. Uh, another guy that's also seemingly hitting a home run every other day is, I almost got to it, Mash Mervis, Matt Mervis. Uh, I guess the main thing is, how, what's been the most impressive thing about him and, and and how legit is he legit uh, down there? I'll answer your question, your last question first. He's legit. Uh, 32 home runs, 38 doubles, 71 extra base hits, uh, 13% strikeout rate at the AAA level. That's not a fluke. He's gotten better at every single level he's been at, which means he's becoming more comfortable with the strike zone. And he's willing to put the work in. Uh, there was a series in Indianapolis where he struggled by his standards, didn't hit a home run. I think he went five for 19. Isn't bad, right? So we have a Monday off day here. And Matt was in the in uniform at Principal Park for two and a half hours hitting, taking BP, soft toss. And he's hit eight home runs since in three series. So he, he knows how to identify his weaknesses. And he's a smart enough guy and a talented enough guy to you know, use the advice that he gets from his hitting coaches, watches the film and put that into action really quickly. And he's at the point where right now where he's not just hitting mistakes. He's hitting a 98 mile per hour fastball from a lefty out. He's hitting an 82 mile per hour curveball from a righty out. Any ball that's in the strike zone, you have the feeling that he's hitting into the bleachers in right field. You just do. And that's got to be a powerful feeling for him because it's a powerful feeling for me to, to see him up there at the plate and fully expect him to one, put together a quality at bat and two, it's going to have an extra base hit. You, you just feel that way. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like, Alex, literally every single day that I, you know, I'm looking at TweetDeck and you have a tweet out about Mash Mervis doing something else and totaling yeah. his season. And it's really, it's just incredible um, everything he's done this year and going through multiple levels. And for a guy who is not really on the radar of prospects right. at all this year. And that's so, kind of why I asked that because yeah. Yeah. you went into the season and it's like Matt Mervis, I mean, unless you ask like the most uh, – uh, passionate minor league fans of the Cubs system. A lot of people probably didn't know who he was. What we'll call it this year is, is Matt Mervis mania. Uh, it, it really is. And, you know, I've talked to him a couple times about this one. Remember when he went to Duke, he was a two-way player. I mean, he was recruited and scouted as a pitcher and he wears that as a chip on his shoulder. I mean, he remembers every single scout and every single coach that wanted him as a pitcher and not as a hitter. 
he knew that he could hit. And it was really, he went up to the Cape, he hit, and he was like, well, Duke had to put me in the lineup. And then he, then he hit a lot. And then in 2020, obviously it was a five round draft. So that's why he was undrafted. But he, he was just saying, I was a pitcher for so long and, and not a full-time first baseman. I didn't understand my body and the mechanics of hitting up until this year. This year was the first time I could really get into the gym and, and go and see data and, and, fully understand the scope of what my body could do. He says, I'm not like Christopher Morrell. I wasn't athletic at the age of three. I'm learning my body at 23. And he did. And, and it's really taking on you know, a new form of, of confidence for him, of strength for him. And he's um, he's a pretty special player and a pretty special person. And, and I know people are like, oh, let's call up Matt Mervis and he's going to be the next Anthony Rizzo. Well, again, I mean, that's a pretty high bar to live up to, but he's a big leaguer. He's a guy who reminds me of multiple big leaguers. The comp that I have is Nate Lowe for Texas, you know, was an AL player of the week a couple of weeks ago. Nate was a pitcher in college. He was a pitcher in high school. He hit a, a late growth spurt when it came to his baseball game, made the big leagues at 24. Now is a borderline all-star. I think that could be his career ascent. Well, yeah, I'm still hoping that I have a late growth spurt as well. You know, and like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, look into six foot. That's why I don't drink coffee. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I would love to, nothing makes me more insanely jealous than hearing these like two-way players like Brandon Hughes, who was an outfielder, is now a pitcher, and Mervis, yeah. who was a pitcher, and now is is just crushing the ball. Um, You know, that would have been nice to have like a sprinkle of like yeah. a little right. of the talent. Right. Tony, it's still coming. You're, we're, yeah, I'm still, <laughs> yeah it is. Age 35, you know, I'll be like uh, Dennis Quaid in, in The Rookie. Yeah. Hey, if, if Albert Pujols can be hitting tanks at age 42, I think I think you still got it in yeah. The big thing is he had that long career before that's that true. that I that's don't true. have. That's true. That's true. Well, and, and one more thing about Mervis, and I think we have to really appreciate the season that he's having. It's among the best Cubs minor league seasons we have ever seen. I mean, you look at Chris Bryant's year in 2014 – Chris had a couple more homers, but batting average, Mervis. Hits, Mervis is going to eclipse it. Doubles, Mervis. OPS, Mervis. So Chris Bryant was a minor league player of the year. Matt Mervis is the guy who was not drafted two years ago. It's a really special season. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I It definitely something I, you know, more and more I hear buzz from fans who are looking forward to seeing him at Wrigley. Don't think that's going to happen this year. I, you know, it, yeah. it's pretty much been ruled out. I don't think 100%, yeah. but you know, a guy that um, maybe at some point in 2023, we'll see. But, you know, Alex, one guy that we have seen in the big leagues a lot, Edward Alzali, and I know we haven't seen him yet this year, but he's made a few rehab outings in AAA, and I've seen some of the highlights. I've looked at, you know, some of the box scores and stuff. But for you, seeing every pitch with your eyes and just as he's gone through, like how, how has he looked overall as he's kind of recovering here? Uh, the main word is healthy. Uh, and when you're dealing with the guy who's had injury concerns over the last two or three years, you want to make sure that every outing he is here or he has here, he comes out of it healthy, and he does. I mean, his last outing in Jacksonville, four strikeouts, slider was playing, fastball was up to 97. He just looks like he's in better shape. Uh, he looks like a guy who, you know, come another offseason, you could put him in the starting rotation in Chicago. He looks built to give you 100, 155 innings. Now, whether they do that or they keep him in the bullpen, I'm not sure. I think his stuff really plays well out of the bullpen. It's a little bit more sharp, and he could go max velocity. But in terms of pure stuff and health, he looks the same or even better than he was in 2021, 2019. It's interesting you said that. I was talking to Manny Rodriguez when he got up here. 
And I said, you know, what, what did you kind of do in Arizona? What did you learn about yourself while he was, you know, on the injured list? And he said he spent a lot of time with Adbert Alzali. And his, Adbert Alzali's wife, Diana, is a, is a nutritionist. And, and she completely redid their, their, mm-hmm. their regiment, their dining regiment, their eating regiment, their, their workout regiment. And, and it kind of, he says he feels like he's in the best shape he's been in. Uh, thanks to, you know, because he's, he's watching what he's eating. He's being careful with what he consumes. And him and Adbert really grew close in that time in Arizona. Adbert's a beast. I mean, he's a guy that came in and he, he looks like he's, he's a man. He's in better shape. And he's a guy that he looks strong and the stuff plays strong and it comes out sharp. And uh, I think when it comes to side, ladder, oblique injuries, you get a little bit leery. Uh, but he's somebody in four appearances here. Look really good, and I'm erring on the side of caution by saying that. But he, um, I think he's primed for a big time comeback. All right, one last thing, Alex, before we let you go is you know, we talk about the big names the Canarios and Mervis and Brennan Davis and Killian. You, you mentioned guys like Correa and Leaper, but I always like asking you this like, are there other guys that are under the radar, maybe not getting yeah. as much attention that? Cubs fans should be expecting to see in Chicago at some point. Now, again, that doesn't have, you know, the season's almost over this year, but like yeah. 2023, like are there other guys that you've been watching this year or recently that say, hey, this guy is a big leaguer and can make an impact? Yeah, I got one name for you that really sticks out to me, Darius Hill. Uh, he is Tommy LaStella Light, uh, 300 hitter. Uh, he's a guy, his bat, the ball skills are better than anybody I've seen at this level. It's like a a miniature Ichiro. He doesn't strike out very much. He doesn't walk very much, but the bat, the ball skills just puts the contact, puts contact on the ball. Um, his at bats are tremendous. Two strike approaches, tremendous ability to hit the ball the other way. Tremendous. He just hits them where they ain't. And he's a guy that I think he has over 150 hits now this year. He has the most hits for a Cubs minor league player since Chesney Young in 2015. Chesney Young at 163. Wilson Contreras at 151. And Darius Hill is 151. And we still have 15 games left. So his bat, the ball skills are so impressive day in, day out. He's such a tough out. And uh, I, I think the walks have been improving. He still doesn't strike out very much. And in his first AAA at bat, he had his first AAA homer. In his next AAA homer, it was a walk-off homer. His homer after that was a go-ahead home run in the eighth inning. There's certain guys that have a flair for the dramatic and the clutch factor that's really difficult to quantify. We'll ask Lance to see if he can do that. But uh, he's a real impressive hitter. And, and the way that he covers ground in the outfield, he – he can play a big league center field. I think that he's definitely a big leaguer. And again, uh, my comp hitting wise was Tommy Listella light. And that's a good thing. That was a great nugget you had about Chesney Young. I think uh, we didn't do trivia, Andy, in this podcast, but we're going to have to go take that yeah. to Kyle Milanovic. Oh, let's do it. Yeah, no, that would be great for sure. But Alex, thank you so much. We really appreciate all the knowledge and insight uh, for Andy and Alex and Tony Andraki. Thank you again for listening. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and check us out in video form in the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in.